Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best DMs and GMs on this plane of existence. To support the show, check out my link tree or show notes for my affiliate links. Also, if you're a content creator ready to take the next step on your journey, check out episodify.com. Let's jump into our guest intro. This week, I chatted with Andy, a local game store owner in my home state and the current world record holder for the organizer of the world's largest D&D game. Those of you who've been listening for a while know that I actually got to run one of the tables at this D&D game, and it was a ton of fun. We'll talk about running games and about how Andy went from selling goods in a booth at a renaissance fair to owning his own game store to owning the world record. Enjoy. I think I was destined to be a nerd, a geek, just because my parents are geeks. When we were young and the Lord of the Rings came out, my mom made costumes for the entire family. I was Legolas. I've got five other siblings, so she made costumes for everyone. And my dad worked at Microsoft, so he was a big geek. So from my first day of birth, I was already a, a nerd. And then I learned about TTRPGs. I moved out and my roommate was like, have you ever played D&D? I'm like, no. And he's like, well, we're playing tonight. And that literally was it. Then I fell in love with TTRPGs. I guess to introduce me, I run a local game store and we have decorated it to look like a medieval tavern called We Geek Together. I usually call it the tavern. So uh, that's a bit about me. When you started playing games with your roommates, how did it kind of grow from there? Did you ever start running games yourself? You know, did you try other systems? How did that go? Yeah, so we played a ton. I used to live in Washington before I moved to Utah. Mm -hmm. My roommate was an amazing dungeon master. Then I moved to Utah and I still wanted to play, but nobody else was a dungeon master. So as the story for most dungeon masters, you just kind of become it because you want to play it. Yep. <laughs> so yep. I became the dungeon master. I started playing games for my family and friends, and the rest is history there. With all of the experience you've got running games for friends and family and everybody else, what are some of the big mistakes you feel like you made early on or even you know recently? that you feel like listeners and watchers could learn from? I would say one of the mistakes I still deal with is I am very excited about moving story along and like getting to the next story beat Mm -hmm. that I don't really let anything linger. I don't let my players like really figure out things and flesh out the world like if they're in a town right i'll prep all of this cool stuff to do a town but they get to the church and the church sends them on a quest and then they leave the town and so not letting them feel the world i guess it's just kind of like all right next part of the story go 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 which is fine no i like that that's actually the first time i feel like someone has mentioned kind of that specific thing is like something they notice in their game and As a DM, you have all of these ideas and you know where the plot is going and you're really excited for the stuff you're prepping or the people they're going to meet, the adventures they're going to go on. And so it can definitely feel like that, whereas they really want to engage with whatever they're experiencing in the moment. It's kind of like a give and take, a push and pull. And there definitely is a balance there. But yeah, I think that's a good thing to be mindful of when you're running games for sure. Yeah, I I mean... And you can swing too far one way or another, right? Like if you're railroading, literally just chugging through the story content versus if your players are just not just meandering. Like if every session is a shopping session, it's like, (laughs) why are we actually playing? Let's just go shopping at that point. Yeah, there's definitely some people out there who just like say, you do whatever you want and I'll just compensate for it. And then there's no story, no cohesiveness, right? I feel like you got to balance. Yeah. On the flip side of that, What are some of the really fun or interesting or exciting things that have happened in games, either where you're running them or you're playing, you know, examples of really good DM slash GMsmanship? I really try hard to focus on my players' characters. One thing that's really fun to do, and I've done this the last few times, is I will do one-on-one D&D that gets the party together. 
So like you mm. all meet in a tavern, but what happened to you before you got into the tavern? So we'll role play kind of their backstory. So, hey, they've kind of already kind of connected with their character. They've got to experiment with their character before they even show up to the table with everyone. Otherwise, it's always kind of weird filling out that first session. But now they've had some practice in it. Now they kind of know a bit about their character. And they're more invested in yeah. the play and the character. One-on-one D&D is like prime D&D, in my opinion. My very first guest on this show ever, a guy named Cade up in Cache Valley, he runs a show called Knocked Prone. But when the pandemic hit, they stopped recording because they were an in-person show. And so he talked his wife into playing with him because she'd never done it before. And they recorded their one-on-one sessions. And they're super fun for all of the reasons you're describing. So yeah, yeah, I like one-on-one as well. Can you think of a time where a player really screwed up what you had planned threw a wrench in the works or whatever and you had to think really quickly on your feet and figure out how to solve that problem in the moment yeah this was first off a mistake i had made where i had imprisoned a character and the idea was i was going to give some other characters a chance to rescue and have an epic escape and it was against like a corrupt queen and it was going to be awesome But I had made a mistake because I had trapped this player. And if you're a player and you get trapped, it doesn't feel good. And you can't do anything and stuff. So Mm -hmm. the player does everything they can to break out. And they rolled well enough that, hey, they were able to break out. But they ended up in the queen's courtroom surrounded by guards. So it was like, you have to go back to your prison cell. And the player was like, no, no, I'm just going to die. Like, I'm just going to fight until I die. I pretty much just put the player into a a no-win situation. I didn't get to do the heist, and the player didn't really have fun, and that was a bit of a train wreck. So, What what ended up happening? So (laughs) I uh, had to do a pretty big poll Uh where I pretty much destroyed the entire castle from a magical attack that came from the player, and it turns out the player is now the chosen one. And so they have this amazing power that they were like, wow, this is really cool. Now I have this really cool power. I'm the chosen one. I was destined to be this amazing sorcerer, wizard, whatever. And I have to learn how to control it. But it killed the queen and it killed the whole everything, the castle. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> Either I was had to kill the player or I had to kill the everything else. And so... But it was great. Like at the end of the day, even though the player had not done anything that I was expecting, the player had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And so good on them for having a lot of fun. And at the end, they're like, this is a really cool, interesting way to take the story. So they weren't like mad at all or anything. And they thought it was cool. So that's good. Yeah. If you can make it seem natural, then I think you've done a good job. It can be very hard to do that, though. Like, you know, writing yourself into the corner, their back's against the wall, and, you know, what are they going to do? So, I mean, I guess you solved the problem, and all's well that ends well. The classic smoke and mirrors that the Dungeon Master can use. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yep. Totally planned all that stuff, yeah. Do you have any homebrew rules or things that you do at your games that you feel like add to the fun or really make it more engaging, that kind of thing? Dungeon Masters. If you're a Dungeon Master, you have your own opinions and your homebrew rules. I don't know a single Dungeon Master who doesn't change Mm -hmm. things. I really try to roll out in the open Mm -hmm. and I try to be very tactical about things. And so even if things are as written this kind of works as the rules if it doesn't make sense in the real world i won't let players do it for example getting stuff out of your bag Uh right they're like oh shoot i need this thing i'm gonna use a free action to get this thing out of my bag and it's like that's actually gonna take some time because you're a traveler you pack your bag pretty tight you don't have this stuff here because what i really want is i want players actions to have meaning Mm -hmm. and so i believe that and i I don't try to be like sure i'd probably let the player take it out of the backpack i I wouldn't worry about it so that's a bad example but like if a player is choosing to do something specifically 
I want to try to reward that. And I also want to show them that, hey, but there might be consequences to doing this later on. If you're going to wear your weapons out in the open, that's fine. But maybe somebody will try to steal your weapons or people are more guarded around you versus you can not have your weapons on you. People are going to just treat you normally. But then if you get into combat, you're going to have to spend more time getting your weapons out. And yeah. so I definitely try to be a mix of rule of cool and also you can't just grab whatever you want out of your bag right away. I get where you're coming from for sure. I've also never DM'd over level seven just because I like the grittiness of seven and under. The higher it gets, the harder it is to balance. And I'm sure most people agree, like, they just become so powerful. We were doing a level 14 or a level 12 campaign in Wild Mount. We got up to level 14 and it's just like, Purple Worm, Ancient Dragon, oh you know, Draco Lich. Like, he's got to throw, like, Flying Kraken. <laughs> he's just got to throw those things at you. Otherwise, it's boring. Like, you can just plow through everything else. Yeah, like the first room of a dungeon has a beholder. Right. And it's like, wow, that's yeah. the warm-up. So people can make disgustingly broken builds, <laughs> yes, even low level. We run games in the store. We had one of the tournaments. You have to kill a red dragon. And they knew that was our goal, kill a red dragon. And I let them build their characters, which was a terrible idea because they built a team of six, just purely dedicated to shutting down this dragon. The dragon lived for two turns, didn't get off a single attack. <laughs> was grappled and couldn't even move. Uh, it was, was it a monk a stun or something? It, or it was. They grappled uh -huh. and they enlarged. So they had somebody cast enlarged. Uh, they right. grappled. That way they could grapple. And then they cast the spiked growth, which when you uh -huh. move through it, you take damage. And then they cast haste. So they grappled and then they dragged them through the spiked growth and cheese gratered that poor dragon to death. <laughs> what a visual. And then they hexed it, so it had disadvantage on all of its checks, and it couldn't attack while it was grappled. And, and it so, couldn't get out of the grapple. And it couldn't get out hexed. of the grapple. Yeah. And so, like, oh that poor dragon just <laughs> got ground into pieces in two turns. A full red dragon. And I was like, this is terrifying. What level were they? Level five. Yeah. Level geez. five. I mean, six is quite a lot. But, yeah, you're right. Like, the moment you tell them what they're doing. Oh, it was yeah. bad. <laughs> That's awesome. And now a word from a few of How Not to DM's sponsors. First up, I'm really excited to announce a partnership with the website RPGmatch.com. RPGmatch.com is a site dedicated to helping you get matched up with TTRPG players who play like you do. You can select games you're interested in playing, customize your preferred play style, and find hundreds of folks out there to fill up your tables. RPGmatch.com, don't roll the dice on who you play with. RPGmatch.com is free to use, and you just jump in there. Creating a profile is really easy. It's a few clicks, you fill out a little survey, and then immediately you're given a list of tons of people who want to play the same games as you do and want to play in a similar style. So it's really easy to find folks from all over the globe to fill up those spots on your table, like I said. So check out RPGmatch.com. If you haven't already created a profile, you can go find me on there or find other folks who want to play really niche games that you want to play or, you know, just want to play 5e or whatever it is. Check it out. Next, here from my friends at Errant Adventures. Hi, I'm Steve Morrison, and I've combined my love of writing fiction and tabletop gaming into a solo actual play series called Errant Adventures. Join me as I explore different stories in different genres using a variety of my favorite tabletop role-playing games. If you enjoy space adventure, check out Season 1, Tarquin, which follows the adventures of a young herald running from family drama. Or check out the new Season 3, Cry Havoc, and follow Mender Alexis Wolf as she tries to help the people of Skoroko Station. If fantasy's more your jam, check out Season 2, Talon and Crest, where members of the Crest Mercenary Company try to make their way in the city of Heartvale. I've also got shorter runs of stories covering a range of genres and games. Whether a long-form campaign or a short series, Errant Adventures features stories told at the speed of dice. So join me on the podcatcher of your choice as I discover where the story goes next. And last but not least, the podcast Creatures and Creatives. Creatures and Creatives is a podcast where four creative professionals play a game of fantasy make-em-ups for their amusement and your amusement. 
They've started a new season wherein an amnesiac ghost, a mechanical man, and an unlicensed alchemist solve fantastical Victorian era mysteries. Wow, what a mouthful. I dare you to say that 10 times fast. If you wish a podcast could live at the intersection of improv, detective fiction, and food-based world building, then you've come to the right place. Find Creatures and Creatives wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more about the show at creaturesandcreatives.club and follow them on social media at ccrpgcast on all platforms. Thanks so much for listening to the words from all of those sponsors. The sponsors help keep the show running, keep the lights on. Now, let's jump into Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, we're doing things a little differently. I thought I would challenge Andy to come up with some fun LARP scenarios from some random generators on the internet. The We Geek Together Tavern is known for its fun events from Magic the Gathering to D&D events to these live-action roleplay nights that he throws. So let's see if Andy is up to the task, up to the challenge to create some awesome LARP event nights from these random generators. Um, I'm just going to click another a few times. You tell me when to stop and we'll, okay, we'll okay, read through okay, these okay, okay. three. So I'm going to click another, another. Oh, <laughs> a cult of Tiamat have discovered a spell that ages living creatures and they are trying to use it on dragon eggs to raise powerful allies. Interesting. Okay. Next one, a ring of regeneration is a great find until a character realizes what it is turning them into. Can the party do what it takes to remove the curse? That sounds like one you could do pretty easily. Possibly. Okay, the PCs seek an answer slash information from a forgotten bard. When they find him, he is a ghost and he will only help if they give him peace by finishing his final poem (laughs) or song. That sounds super fun. How would you turn that into a tavern larp? So... When people walk in, they're going to see a ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, we'll dress them up and they, they're, oh, they're a ghost. And so you have to figure out what happened. So we'll start it off with like a bit of a murder mystery. Find out how they die, what happened, that kind of stuff. You'll find their book or their journal. Okay. In the book of their journal, then they have the songs that they were writing. And we can even bring some musical instruments, mm. you know, simple like bongos, that kind of stuff. And the bard ghost probably will just like answer in song or maybe they'll just sing. Maybe they'll just give normal answers. But the only reason they're sticking around is because they have been working so hard on the song that they literally died because they've just been working so hard, just pure exhaustion. And they cannot leave until they have finished their song, but they need everyone else's help. Then it's a giant kumbaya a circle people get to try to give him ideas for the names maybe it's like a good person who's good at ad lib or, mm-hmm. or uh, there's a word for that improvisation there we go improv yeah, yeah somebody who can really make stuff up improv you know jack black style or whatever who can <laughs> give them a guitar or a piano and they can just make a song just on the fly and then take suggestions from the audience and then finally once he's written his uh, master song then he can pass that would actually be hilarious you could do like the fog machines and then yeah yeah (laughs) it hinges on having an amazing npc which is possible there's some actually really talented people around so that could be a pretty fun one all right here's another one returning from their latest adventure the characters find a dead goblin sprawled on the ground purple face up in the middle of the room his swollen left hand stuck in a a glass of pickle jar (laughs) is wrapped about some crumpled parchment there's definitely writing of some sort visible on the parchment. <laughs> okay. That might be harder to set up, but the idea is there. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I, yeah, you'd have to get like, you know, go to Halloween town and find a goblin and a pickle jar. What happened to that poor goblin? Like, that's the question. And so that's the story you have to then form from it. It's what information like, was you know, worth dying for. Yeah, you can almost make it like a Rube Goldberg thing. Like, why was he trying to get into the pickle jar? Oh, it's because he was trying to make a deal with this guy. Why was he trying to make a deal with this guy who wants pickles? Ah, because this guy said he would do this. And so you could like follow the whole story of this poor goblin. Maybe he was supposed to die. Maybe it was an assassination attempt. 
Or again, with dead ghosts, maybe he's going to come back as a ghost and do something. But when I think of the LARPs, I think about when somebody comes in, much like D&D, how are you going to figure out what to do? You got to kind of give them a path. You got to give them some hooks and some adventures. So, okay. This one is interesting. The players encounter a member of a cult known as the The Family. Mm. Sounds mafia-ish. Mm-hmm. They must gather as much information <laughs> about the individual and the family as possible without losing their lives. Without losing their lives. I think a mafia LARP would be hilarious. It would be funny. <laughs> you have all these like gangster kind of people. We could even do it like a 1920s LARP. Like prohibition. Speakeasy. Speakeasy kind of thing. Then you got the mafia. Yeah, and then you get probably some insensitive stereotypes, but nonetheless very funny. Yeah. Some Italian and <laughs> with mafia undertones. And there's a mystery. You have to find out what the mafia is going to do before it happens. Otherwise, something bad might happen. I don't know. So you got to talk to these mafia people, find out what's going to happen. And then turns out maybe it's something completely silly and benign like a surprise birthday party yeah yeah exactly like, like all the slang it that sounds like makes. so morbid it's like we're gonna light this place up <laughs> it's gonna kill yes <laughs> okay i love it all right that's uh, i think we I've have, got i've got some two killer ideas right yeah there. those are good ideas all right yeah tell us about your journey from small time selling your own handcrafted goods and booths to having thousands of square feet of space for people to come and play games. (laughs) Crazy journey. I bought a 3D printer and uh, like anybody with a 3D printer, you're like, (laughs) oh, maybe I can make some money with this. And so I started selling at farmer's markets and my brother started to make leather and then Evermore started to do their own like testing with uh, merchants and Mm -hmm. farmer's markets. So we got in with Evermore and Evermore is a D&D fantasy theme park. We definitely were like, wow, we're big nerds. So we 3D printed and made leather armor and all this kind of stuff. And then Evermore kept on growing and we learned a lot. And we kept on selling, making new products, learning. And I come from a business background. I did nine years working in fast food, eight years as a general manager of a store. And I took that store and I made it the highest grossing sales in the out of their 40 stores that they owned. So I learned a lot there at my job, right? How to work with people, how to do customer service, that kind of stuff. So then labor, mm-hmm, um, managing, managing inventory, you know, all that. the boring stuff that is very <laughs> important to running a business. Yeah. And so cool. We're starting to do really well at farmers markets, Renaissance fairs. The problem with pop-up events like that is you don't build a community. You're lucky if somebody actually recognizes you from the last time they went to an event. If it was memorable enough. Yeah. Yeah. So we wanted to build a community. So we saved up and it would be awesome to own a game store, but let's make it a game store like a Renaissance fair more than just your actual game store. Like you go into game stores, you'll see all these shelves of board games and I love board games, but you can't find a Renaissance shop anywhere. Like there's no Renaissance store. We were like, let's take our products that are doing well at Renaissance-themed events. Let's also take a lot of local artists who we've met who are also doing well at Renaissance fairs. Let's open up a store and let's cater to LARP because there's game stores, but there's no LARP stores. Instead of a game store, let's decorate it like a tavern. And the dream has happened. We've been able to double our square footage since we've been opened, which is huge. As far as like the game store experience, I think a lot of people... Myself included, like there are a bunch of game stores here in Utah because it's it's a fairly nerdy place. And I've gone into a ton of them and they're just not very interesting. But everyone I've talked to who's come into this store and everyone I've been with when we come in here is always just so fascinated. And you could spend like an hour like walking around looking at all the little displays. Even if you're not going to buy anything, there's just so much cool stuff in here. And I feel like that is such a niche that a lot of other places have not figured out yet, right? They've got glass cases full of cards and stuff and like maybe a few tables maybe right and i feel like having a place for people to play like you said is really integral to that building the community goal that you had and yeah i think it's really cool what you're doing 
seriously, I could do like a two hour deep dive yeah. on the science of game stores. Yeah. Because I've been to many and I've also been studying mm-hmm. how many different game stores operate, how they look and that kind of stuff. And I feel like there's several things that I think a lot of game stores are doing not well. I don't mm-hmm. want to say wrong, but I don't think they're doing these things well. And I think it really hurts a lot of the general nerd audience or geek audience. And that's why I feel like a lot of game stores go under is because mm-hmm. they haven't understood some of the things that we've figured out. And that's not to talk bad about any of the local game stores. I love the local game stores in right. Utah. But like, I feel like we figured some things out. Yeah, you've done something that differentiates you from a lot of the competition slash your peers. Yeah, absolutely. In building this store from the ground up on a dream and some cash, what has been the most challenging slash unexpected part of starting a tavern? And then maybe what has been the most rewarding part? The build-out costs, that's been crazy. Like, we've worked really hard to make it feel very aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's cost like a ton of money. So that's been a huge challenge because you have to be very creative on how you're doing. Like we've done almost all of the work. We hired a contractor for things where like, I can't do electrical. (laughs) Somebody's going to die if I do electrical. (laughs) So let's hire a contractor for electrical. But for everything else, we have to do it ourselves. And so it's been a lot of manual labor, a lot of work on our side. I have some poor employees who definitely did so much work and are definitely underpaid for the amount of work they did just because Dom is my employee and he's like a friggin' Swiss army man. He can do everything. (laughs) He's amazing. I don't know what I would do without him. So that was the first part. Oh, what's the most rewarding part? Yeah, yeah. Is building culture, right? Mm -hmm. Is being able to see regulars who come in and they say, wow, you know, I have been able to find friends here. Like there's literally somebody who I know, they moved to Utah and they said, I don't have any friends And they now come to the game store once or twice a week. And they now have a lot of friends here in the game store that they spend time with. They play games with outside the game store. They communicate with them. I close up shop an hour later and I leave and I see they're still talking and having fun in the parking lot. And so being able to be a hub, be a space that people can meet, people can have fun, people can be safe is such a treat. And the the world record, I guess, was kind of the epitome of that. Getting a thousand people plus 1,200 plus people to show up and to walk table to table and see all of these people just having a blast, having so much fun. Like, I can die happy because it's like, look at all these people who had fun. It took so much work, <laughs> so <laughs> much work. But boy, was it worth it just because seeing that was amazing. A lot of lost sleep. A lot of late nights. Oh, so many hours. (laughs) Tell us about a typical day running the tavern. It's not all fun and games. You've made a few TikToks like like laughing about how you don't actually get to play that much. You play like one game of Magic a week and you look forward to it. And the rest is mostly work. work. It's funny. Owning a game store does not mean you will be playing many games. You're kind of actually looking at very cynically because you're a business person, right? You have to look at it as how can I make sure the store is profitable? Because if you're not profitable, you shut down. At the end of the day, you're going to be out. doesn't matter how kind you are, how good of a heart you have. If you're not profitable, you're done. So you have to look at things from a very business mindset, which when people are walking into the game store, they don't see it that way. They just see it as a game store, a place to play. So day to day. I come in, we open the store, usually either Dom or I open the store. Then uh, we usually try to get through the emails and then we try to stock. We get our new inventory in, so we stock everything. And then we work on social media. I work really hard on social media because that's how you get more people aware of your place, aware of your store. And then we are the new developments, right? Because we always got to be looking forward. You can't be stagnant. You can't just be like, hey, we've figured out our schedule. We've figured out our rhythm. You got to be, no, what's new? What else can we add? What new games are in circulation? What are people talking about? That kind Mm -hmm, of stuff. mm -hmm. So you're doing research. You're looking at things like 
Candela Obscura just came out from Critical Role. All right, let's start learning about it. See if we want to start running games because people are really interested in the system. The nerd and pop culture moves around a ton. So your job is to try to adapt with that. So you can try to bring in more interest and more people to your store. We're usually dead. 11 to 4 is mostly dead. People are at work. So unless it's a Saturday, Saturday is busy all day, but Mm -hmm. 11 to 4. So so we do all that work in that front half of the day. And then 4 to close is when most of our customers are in. So at 4 o'clock, we refresh the store, make sure everything's clean, bathroom's clean, everything's stocked, everything's looking nice. Then it's just customer service from 4 p.m. to close. We really have uh, our, our retail, our face, whoever's there at the customer. You're all about customer service. And by then I have my dungeon masters in. So my dungeon masters are running games for people. You're interacting with people. You'll give people a tour around your store. You'll open bottles of mead. You'll have a good time. You're almost entertaining because when people come in and they have a good time, they're going to remember that they want to come back. And so if you are doing too much of the day-to-day work, the grind, while there's a lot of people here, you're missing out on setting a good impression on those people. And then close, we clean up, sweep them up, make sure everything's clean, ready for the next day. You don't want to leave the place dirty for the morning person. You want to try to solve today's problems today so tomorrow they can get in and they can get done all those things that they had to before prime time. Nice. As far as future plans for the store. Boy, like dream big. I had dreamed about owning a gaming tavern and suddenly now I do. So we would love to open more locations. I think the next location we'd want to go more north. We'd want to try to do Salt Lake. And it wouldn't be too far from us. So we can like really make sure that, hey, we're stable. We know what we're doing. Once we figured that out, then we can really start looking about opening up more locations. I don't want to franchise. Right. A, lot, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, when are you going to franchise? I don't want to franchise. I think what we have is special. And right. the moment we try to just let people copy it, the less special it's going to be. That being said, I feel like we can definitely, I don't know, in five years, maybe we'll have three or four locations. We got proposed to by a, a mall in New York to open a, the same spot in New York. And so That's really, really ambitious, but maybe in five years, we'll be up in New York. Texas is another place we've been looking. There's so many nerds in Texas. We love you guys. Washington. I lived most of my life in Washington. so That's like where a lot of the current gaming Mm -hmm. companies are. Yeah. So it's kind of a big hub there. There's there's a big nerd culture. So that's one thing. We have so many other things because we're now starting to do outside events. We were already doing farmer's markets, renaissance fairs, but now we're starting to get into some big time conventions. We are, for FanX and for Dragonsteel, we're running their game rooms. Dragonsteel is Brandon Sanderson's, Brandon right? Sanderson. So we're running their game rooms. We're in charge of their whole tabletop role play experience. So what if in four years, San Diego Comic-Con reaches out and they're like, hey, we're running a board game room. That's all I'll speak to. I have so many other ideas, so many things we want to be working towards. Like I said, dream big. Speaking of dreaming big, I was chatting with you maybe a month or so ago about the world record setting game that you set up. And I said, I gave you like a 60% chance (laughs) of pulling it off. You really do dream big and maybe where other people can't quite see the vision, you know, you do and, and you're able to execute on it. So I think that's half the battle is dreaming big and knowing that you can do it right. And then going out there and figuring it out. I'm surprised you gave me 60%. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty pretty generous. I think most people were giving me like 10%. (laughs) They're like, there's no way this is going to work out. I'm glad it did though. So speaking of, you've talked about it a couple of times, this world record setting game. Where Mm -hmm. did the idea come from for that? How did it solidify and actually happen? Yeah, so it's all been very funny how it worked out. So Like seven or six years ago, I was walking down the road with my wife and two of my really good friends. We just like to go on walks. And I was talking to my buddy and I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if for D&D you did a war scenario where the tables were different areas on a battlefield? You can get like a hundred people playing D&D at the same time. And it could feel like Lord of the Rings, Helm's Deep, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's such a cool idea. 
and I thought about it off and on for like that five or six years, you know, when you're in the shower. Oh, yeah. No, the six years ago. Right. And it's been done before. Like there's called D&D Epics. D&D Epics isn't to the scale or the way we did it. But the idea is you have a bunch of tables playing Mm -hmm. and they can somewhat very limited interact with each other or at the very least they're like scored against each other. Yeah. It's not a unique idea, but it was a cool idea. Right. So I sat on it, shower thoughts, whatever, while I was falling asleep. I thought, oh, cool. War scenario. Kind of came up with some ideas on how to run it. We are opening our game store. Great. We had two locations. We had the mall where we are now, or we had another location on University Parkway. And we actually really wanted that first because it was. Convention Center? Yeah. It was just off the road and it was its own separate building and it was next to the Deseret Book. And we wanted to get that and it fell through. The owners of the place signed the papers with us. And then after they signed the papers with us in the papers, it said, hey, but we can sign papers with somebody else during this time if they pay much higher rate. And turns out another company came and paid a much higher rate than a tiny business could afford. So they bought us out. So then we took them all. And then when we took them all, they said, by the way, we have the entire mall. So if you ever want to do anything inside the mall, talk to us and we can give you like a few hundred square feet. We can set up a stage if you want to do like a class or something in the mall. Then that idea of like, wait a minute, D&D world record. We now have a venue. We have a game store that's brand new and doesn't have a name for itself and nobody knows about. This would be an excellent marketing, an excellent social building. So it became a marketing move, right? Again, through the business, kind of the cynical business lens, it was like, wait, no, we have to do this because nobody knows about We Geek Together. Why does anybody care about We Geek Together? And we're focusing on the TTRPG, the D&D nerds. That's who we really want to cater to. So what better way than setting a world record, something that nobody has ever done? That was the idea. And then, yeah, and then it was just grinding. And I luckily met Johnny, who helped write it all. He was amazing. I met Dax, who was a head dungeon master, and he was amazing. I literally could not have done it without them. Your 60% was completely right, because had (laughs) I not met them, it wouldn't have happened nearly as well as it did. It would have been the crappiest production ever. Everybody would have showed up and been like, yeah, this is what a local game store can do. 150 people would have shown up and they would have been kind of like, wow, this is okay, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been pretty underwhelming. So, yeah, I mean, if you had promised a lot and then only 150 showed up. But anyway, it worked, right? You pulled it off. I got to run a table for the wall. I've actually run that same scenario for a few other groups. Oh, that's so cool. Because it's got some fun mechanics that you can play with. So shout out to Johnny for writing a really fun game. But yeah, you had the wall, you had some cavalry, you had um, city guard, city guard, and, and you had gatekeepers, gatekeepers that each were interacting with different parts of the battlefield. And depending on how one group of players performed, then for instance, not enough people had destroyed the siege engines, so the wall fell, and Vecna's armies were able to breach the city, and so that had consequences on what the next scenario would be. The way it all interplayed and like just the interaction was super fun and. Everyone is yelling and screaming, you know, like, oh, man, cries. The whole mall is filled with tables of people all cosplaying and like yelling and screaming and rolling dice and laughing. And, you know, just like sitting there running a game for these people while I'm watching like normal mall folk walk by on a Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing like it. It was really fun, though. I couldn't have done it any better myself. It was an awesome time. What do you feel like was the most challenging and then most rewarding part of that? So we split it up into three categories. Johnny became the lead writer. Okay. So the challenge of writing was no longer my challenge. He had to take all of that. Someone else could figure it out. The other problem we had was being a good face Uh for the company that was Dax. Okay. So Dax was able to take all of that, be the hype man, the head dungeon master. He also went out to a lot of companies and got a lot more interest than I could have ever done because he's been in the community a lot more than I have. So it fell on me. I was producer. So I have a budget of how many tables and chairs can I fit and how is the stage going to look? So that was really the tough part, making sure everything lined up where we're getting chairs and tables on time. Where we getting one thing we really failed at was the audio. 
Okay. Mm. Because my budget ran low and I didn't realize how crucial the audio was going to be. I completely underestimated it. So my budget ran low. So I was only able to spend 3,500 on the audio only when I should have spent like double that. Right. To get um, speakers throughout the whole, the whole place. mall. Right. There was a lot of people who at the very fringes of the mall couldn't hear. And at the stage, the way the speakers were set up, they would echo over each other. So on the stage, we couldn't even understand. So the VIPs, the big table in the middles, as well as the fringes, had a really hard time understanding the audio. And then the last thing was just the manpower it took to set up and take down. I was here Friday night because we couldn't set up until the mall closed. Until 1 a.m., setting up all the tables and chairs with the great souls who decided to volunteer. We said, hey, volunteer, and we'll give you some cool freebies. How and many folks did you have setting them all up? Because like there were 15, so many. 15 to 20. Yeah, 15 so to 20. many tables There's 200 plus tables and 1,000 plus chairs. We were setting it all up. And then Saturday, after everybody had left, it went down to like 15 volunteers. And so, yeah, just like <laughs> cleaning it all up. I was so miserable because I didn't get much sleep, right? Not only did I go to bed at 1 a.m., but like I was so excited and so terrified that not a soul was going to show up the next day. Yes. And then I'm just the whole time during the convention, I'm just running around putting up fires. So it's just stress, stress, stress the entire day. And then finally everyone leaves and I breathe for a second. And I'm like, but we got to clean it all up. (laughs) So then, yeah, we cleaned it all up and got it put away. And again, it was like 1 a.m. And I just I told my wife, I'm like, I'm not going to do anything Sunday. (laughs) I'm just going to exist in bed for a day because I was dead. But it was it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. We're doing it again next year. Double the amount. So that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It was very cool to be a part of and just to watch as a participant, just how much fun it was, how many people showed up. I think you, like I said, you really pulled it off. Is there anything you would do differently next time other than like the sound? Sound, yeah. We talked about sound. We're going to pay some people to work on the tables and chairs because that's miserable and they'll have to get paid for that. The Dungeon Master check-in and check-out will definitely be a lot smoother next time. Mm -hmm. While it works, I definitely want it a lot more streamlined. We're hoping to get the adventure out maybe even a month ahead so Dungeon Masters have a lot of time to plan. We're actually starting to write now. We're already writing the adventures, which is great. We want to get TVs so you can see the stage from a lot of different places. We want to get TVs broadcasting. Our live stream, that's another thing we dropped the ball hard Mm. on is the live stream didn't work at all. We tested the day before the live streams working fine. Day of live stream, we couldn't get anything. It was just a horrendous mess. And so the live stream, that's going to improve. Like there's so many things we learned that I could go on and on. I want to get more prizes. I don't know if we're going to do sponsors again. We might only do like one or two sponsors, the people we really liked working with. But sponsors was almost more work than the money it brought in. It only brought in a few thousand dollars from these people's donations. But the amount of work and coordinating it took with these people was actually a whole lot more than like I could have put that time somewhere else. Now I needed it for Guinness. I don't need it now for Guinness. So we'll see if will I'm they show happen. up again just because? No, Guinness is not going to be here next year. They're, or you'll just do it unofficially. So we're not going to, and I'm I'm doing this on purpose. We're not going to set a new record because I want somebody to try to break her old record. Uh, you want to see someone see? else give it a shot? Yeah, I want to see if somebody actually can break her old record. Because I bet you if somebody did break it, we could come back with the fury of all of the Utah nerds and just like <laughs> destroy whatever somebody can go up against us. So Yeah, I think you're right. It was impressive to see how many people showed up. But also, yeah, I mean, Gen Con is next week. You got Fan X, but I'm sure they're not planning anything like this. They are because we're running the Dead Wars for them. You're doing the Dead we're Wars. We're running oh, okay. the Dead Wars at FanX, but it's not. They're we're not looking trying to at, break it, right? Yeah, we're looking at 200, maybe 200 players. That'll be fun, though. For um, people who want to play. I love it. Cool. As far as your parting words of wisdom, advice, encouragement, etc., I'd love to hear what you have to say to people out there who are thinking about running games. But also, I want to hear what you have to say to people who are thinking about taking the plunge into some bigger creative endeavor like opening up a tavern or deciding to sell your goods at at markets, that kind of thing. Very cool. 
game masters, dungeon masters, just do it. You can do it. Like, I believe in you. It is like, if I can be a dungeon master, you can be a dungeon master. It's very intimidating the first few times you do it, for sure. There's a learning curve. But you'll realize after running two or three sessions, wait a minute, (laughs) this is way easier than I thought. And of course, like, you can take it to the extreme. You can absolutely, as a dungeon master, grind yourself out if you're doing so much work. The only other advice I will say is make sure you're having fun. If it's not fun for you, you're going to burn out. If you're burning out, hey, just say, hey, can we play Smash tonight? Or can we play a different board game? Like, I'm exhausted (laughs) and depressed for being the dungeon master. So then don't do it. Like, only do it if it's fun for you. Don't do it because you're obligated to. For people who want to get into the business of the TTRPG space, either be professional dungeon masters, game store owners, adventure writers, the hardest thing you're going to have to face is why would somebody care to listen about my store, my product, my dungeon master? Why, why? That's the question every businessman has to ask themselves. What value do I provide, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm good at sewing or if I'm good at making this thing, again, why should anybody notice it, okay? Is it the best craftsmanship ever? Is it the coolest looking store ever? Is it the most engaging dungeon master you've ever played? Yes, good. Then you have something marketable. Then you have something you can do, right? I didn't open a game store. I opened up a gaming tavern right? There's some different value behind it. You're in a medieval space. The atmosphere of it, the environment, the culture that we build is different from other game stores. So that gives people an incentive to go after my product more than other people's product. That's the thing. You can't just do what other people are doing. You can. That's a great way to start. I started 3D printing and making leather armor. Other people do that. But then you have to find out what can I provide that other people can't provide or they're not providing or there's not enough being provided. And how can I instead start to embrace that? It's not easy to find that. And I'm still finding that. Like I'm definitely, (laughs) we haven't even been open a year. I'm learning so much every day. There's so much to learn. There's so much to do. Like I said, five years, huge dreams. Who knows where I'm going to be, but good luck. All right. Lastly, I'd love for you to plug where people can find you online, where people can find the store, uh, you know, hours, any upcoming events. We have a lot going on. Our tavern is in Provo, Utah. Come check it out if you're anywhere in Utah. It's definitely worth the trip. At least I think so. We are working on our website. Cool. So you can be able to buy stuff. We're working on a tier thing where you can get, because I write a new adventure every week for our store. We're working on a tier thing where you can get the adventure every week. So you'll have a brand new D&D adventure every week. We are doing a big thing in October, and you're going to be the first official announcement of this. This is not TTRPG space. This is more trading card space. We're doing a big Yu-Gi-Oh! Battle City tournament in the mall. They go and they fight people in different locations. And then it's literally a battle royale for Yu-Gi-Oh! Until they get to the final people and then they fight off. We're shooting for 100 duelists, battle royale, Yu-Gi-Oh! style in the mall. Which is going to be very interesting, very chaotic. I've never seen a game store do that, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it'll be like a single elimination tournament, basically. Yeah. 2,000 hit life points or what? I don't know. You're going to have to figure it out. Yeah, we're we're still figuring that out. (laughs) You can find us on all the social media platforms under We Geek Together. We've got everything but threads. Soon we'll have threads. Soon we'll have OnlyFans. Nice. (laughs) I joke, kind of. (laughs) I have some ideas. Not that we're going to put any adult content. Nothing spicy. No, we're not going to put any adult content on it. I actually want to keep it very straight and just publish my D&D adventures on Hey, you know, it's it's like it's, Patreon it's, or Kofi exactly. or whatever. Exactly, it's yeah, a Patreon account. So the fact that you can say our game store has an OnlyFans will definitely get some people to be like, wait, what? There'll be some buzz, yeah. <laughs> They'll be like, excuse me? Yeah, oh, Everett makes leather armor, so a lot of people are going to have some questions, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, love it. Well, Andy, thanks so much for sitting down with me and chatting. 
Thanks for letting us use your store. Hopefully the audio is pretty clear. I think we did a pretty good job of setting it up. But yeah, thanks for creating this space. It's a really fun time to be a nerd in Utah because there was the world record attempt. This store is really cool. Evermore is doing some cool things. FanX is coming up in the fall, but there's just so much cool stuff happening all around. I'm meeting new people every day who are building stuff or writing stuff or making stuff or, you know, recording themselves doing stuff. And uh, I'm trying to, to meet as many of them as possible. And so it's great to chat with you and be in the store and see the cool community that you're building. Thank you. That means a lot. It really does. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of How Not to DM. Now let's hear a sneak peek from next week's guest, Ivy, aka Game Raider Girl, creator of the Crit Awards. Any advice I would give to new GMs or anybody that's coming into the space? Communication is always going to be your favorite tool because miscommunication leads to a lot of hurt and a lot of awkward situations. It's hard and it'll be awkward at times, but it's better to have the hard conversations and be a little awkward than miss out on a good friendship or a good gaming group. To hear more from Ivy, tune in next week. If you enjoyed this episode or if you've ever enjoyed any of my episodes, a great way to support How Not to DM is by leaving me a review either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can check out my Linktree, linktree.com slash hn2dm, or in the episode notes, as always, you can drop me a tip on PayPal or on Ko-fi, or you can buy something through my affiliate links, which will give me a percentage of the sale, thereby helping me keep running the show. I have an affiliate link with 1985 games. They sell a bunch of cool 2D terrain that you can carry around with you wherever you need to go, along with a bunch of other different kinds of game supplements. You could buy a t-shirt or a mug or a flag at gemmedfirefly.com. You could buy some new dice from Adventure Dice. They're a smaller dice maker based in Canada. Really good friends, and they have some awesome offerings. Coming up soon, they're going to be selling their Advent calendars, which are a big seller. Advent calendars for the holiday seasons for those geeks in your life who would love to open up and get a new dice for every day of the holiday that you plan on celebrating. Uh, that'll be 10% off at Adventure Dice. I love Adventure Dice. I've got a few of the sets myself. I get sets for my players every Christmas just because it's a fun thing to give and get as a geek. I also have links for Hero Forge where you can build your own 3D printable characters. You can buy them pre-painted or you can buy them unpainted. You can also buy the STFL files and print them yourself. Also, I've got links to DMs Guild and DriveThru if you're planning on buying any new games or modules or anything like that in the coming future so those are a few ways you can support me check those out again in my link tree and you can find that in my episode notes or at linktree.com slash hn the number two dm that was a lot but i appreciate you for listening through it and you all know the drill by now until next time roll some nat 20s for me